I will be reading Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Right now, I really would like to invite you, if you haven't done so already, to, um, to open up to John 14 and your apps or your scriptures. And you know that I say that every time that I launch into one of these lessons, but the reason why I say that I don't often bring up, but here it is, is because I, I, I want you to hear from the creator of the universe. I really do. And that's why we turn to his scriptures every single Sunday morning that we get started. Uh, not just because that's just a cute way to start, but because that really is where we want to be as a church anchored. Not what some man says, but what God says. Amen? Okay, so please turn to John chapter 14. In Charles Dickens' story, Oliver Twist, Oliver's orphaned almost from the moment he's born. If you remember back to your high school English class or Maybe it's college, maybe you saw a play, maybe you saw the movie, maybe you've just heard of Oliver Twist. The story begins with Oliver Twist's mother dying in childbirth. It was an illegitimate pregnancy like too often happens today in our own day where the father is nowhere to be found when the baby's being born. Now that's only alluded to just a short time in the story, not much time is spent there in the storyline. It actually launches... From an orphanage that Oliver's placed in, which is a very cruel and very awful place. One of the most well-known scenes from the, the play, Oliver, he's drawn the short straw. And therefore, it's on him to go and ask for more food. Because you see, the kids that were being kept at the orphanage were wildly malnourished, always hungry. And so Oliver comes up and he asks for some more gruel which is not received well at all. I mean, the audacity of this orphan boy actually asking for more food leads this taskmaster to put him into what's called an apprenticeship, <laughs> which is actually a dressed-up word for hard child labor. As a matter of fact, the book is actually written as a social commentary against the practice during that day of using orphan children for hard slave labor. Well, back to the story, Oliver's now a part of this apprenticeship, which is very cruel. He's abused, he's worked long, he's not fed well. And in the pivotal scene, maybe of the entire movie, but at least one of them, one of the older boys there picks a fight with him, one who's bigger and stronger, but Oliver whips him. But he's kind of a favorite of the taskmaster and his wife, and so they both whip Oliver. And the scene moves to Oliver in his bed, and he's weeping. And it's there he decides to fix his life. So he's going to escape. He's going to escape to London. And he does. And when he arrives in London, he runs into a little crew of boys who are having a blast. And he hangs out with them. And they're funny and they laugh and they start to, to tell Oliver this man who takes care of them. This man who provides for them. This man who loves them. This man who's for them. And his name is Fagan. Well, Oliver's introduced to Fagan and he joins their gang, and yet Oliver's best attempts at digging himself out of the hole he was born into serve 
only to deepen that hole. Fagin winds up being a type of kingpin mobster who uses little boys as pickpockets and thieves in order to rob and steal in and around London. And Oliver quickly finds out that the more he tries to fix his life, the more his life winds up broken. And although the story ends with this kind of romanticized idealism, at the heart of Oliver's story is him trying to get himself out of the jam he's in. But every time he takes a step forward, trying to fix what's wrong, things only get worse. Sounding familiar? Now, the purpose of Dickens' story was primarily a social commentary on child labor laws. But I would argue that Oliver Twist is a mirror of our lives, folks. That the more we try on our own, underscore that, on our own, to get out of this angst that we feel inside, and the more we try to dig ourselves out of the holes that we find ourselves in, I'm telling you, the messier I'm finding out our lives tend to get. The longer I live, the more I observe that most of us are born with this desire to belong, and it is powerful. Little Luke was born with a desire in him to belong. Addie was born with a desire for her to belong. Even Mom was born with a desire for her to belong, even though we prayed for just little Luke, really. We're all born with it. <laughs> and it's not too long into the experience of being a child that all of a sudden we realize that the parents seem to be the problem with our belonging. And we don't start out that way. Heavenly, no. We, we hate being separated from them. If, you, if you've forgotten what separation anxiety is, there's a little nursery down the hall here. You can go hold one of those kids when they're experiencing separation anxiety from their mom and dad because we don't want them to leave. We hate it when they leave. And I love that God provides us parents who help us experience belonging. And I know that's not the story for all of us. It's just not. But it's the way that God intended for us, that when we come into the world that we're close to someone and we feed from someone and we belong to someone. And it's not just a one, it's a couple. That's his design. And we live in a broken world. It's not the way it always works, though, is it? It's just not. And yet even with the best of parents, even in that ideal situation, Our feeling like we belong with our parents starts to change when all of a sudden this stuff starts pumping through our bodies called hormones. <laughs> we get that age 13, 14, 15, 16, and it's amazing how mom and dad have, have gone from uh, they help me know I belong to they're preventing it. You remember how this happens. It starts out with, Mom, don't leave me. And then it moves to, Mom, please, leave now, I mean, you really don't know me anyway. And this trying to run my life like you want it to go, come on. I want to be with my friends. They'll help me belong. And so we move from parents and not feel like we belong with them to our friends, right? And so we try to find some folks that we, we think are cool, the athletic kids maybe for you, or maybe it was the band kids or the gamer kids, or maybe you were the golf kid. We begin to look for a place with our peers to belong, because, but certainly they'll make us feel welcome. They'll, they'll, find, they'll find a place for us, and, and so we try. We try to find it with the cool people and the pretty people and the stoned people and the tatted up people, our people, and yet nothing seems to fix that desire. So the next thing we try is marriage. 
That's the answer, right? I've got to get me a soulmate. I've got to get someone who's my other half. I've got to get someone who's my yin or my yang. And then, then I'll belong, right? Until we find out that they need a little tweaking. A couple items. No, a boatload of items. Because we're not feeling like we're belonging here. And so <laughs> we try to fix them. Because we want to belong. Any of y'all here married? You tried to fix that one you're married to? How's that working for you? 36 years, hadn't worked well for me. Just doesn't work very well, does it? To try to fix someone so that you can feel like you belong. And so we're not getting along, and I kind of feel this drifting apart in this marriage, and I know we should have a baby. <laughs> a baby? Are you kidding me? Wow. Let's invite stress and complexity and very little sleep into a place where nobody belongs. Let's do that. What do you think? Before you know it, you've got drill sergeant parent, and you've got a helicopter parent, one's barking orders, one's rescuing and enabling, and now they're not just fussing over them not belonging to one another, they're fussing over this other person here. We don't know what, what ends up. And life just gets messier. And it gets messier and messier. The more you try to pull it together, the more you try to fix it, it just seems like it gets worse. And so you go to church. <laughs> you go to church because you can belong there, right? And it's not long where you find out they're, they're looking for someone to belong with too. You're all in the same boat. And it's just another club with its dues and its rituals and its cliques. And, and you try to get in and you try to fit and it's just not working. And so you go, church? No, I don't think so. I'll pass. I don't need a little bit more to do in my life. I'll just stay home. It's not long in this world before we finally become acutely aware that if it's not from parents or our peers that we don't feel like we're enough or we can't get it right, it's not with the preacher. It's, it's not anywhere where I don't feel like I belong. We're doing the best we can, though, aren't we? Every time. As a, as a teen to a parent, as a mate to another mate, as a member of a church to another member, we're doing the best that we can, and yet we still don't feel like it's good enough. And just like Oliver, we're stuck in the feeling like we're this orphan who just doesn't have a place to call home. And some of you are thinking, I came up to the church building for this? Really? How fun. <laughs> if I wanted to be depressed, you might have just stayed at home. Well, I've got some good news for that. Can I speak tenderly and gently into the reality of you not feeling like you're good enough? Feeling like your best is not good enough? Are you ready? It's because your best isn't good enough. That's not a ploy. It's not hyperbole. Listen to me clearly. Your best isn't good enough. Who told you it would be? Where'd you get that idea? Are you God? Are you omniscient? Are you omnipresent? Are you all-knowing? Where'd you get this? Did you read The Little Train That Could one too many times? Did you watch Rocky Three maybe six or seven times? Where did you get your best would be good enough? Let me tell you this. You didn't get it from God. You didn't. 
Now, this is going to be like smelling salt to some of you because it always is to me when I read it. But listen to me. God wrote these words I'm about to share with you in love, and he means for me to share them with you in love, but they sting. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. Let me start over. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are so swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace, they don't know. They're clueless. Now that's the Apostle Paul quoting the prophet Isaiah, which is a scripture Paul memorized when he came to his senses that he's not good enough. And that happened on a Damascus road when Jesus makes a very private cameo appearance in his life to shut that thought down. And this is a guy who thought he was the best at being good enough. You tracking with me? And Jesus shows up to shut that thinking down. Because here's the good news. It is so freeing when you shut that thinking down. Have mercy, Lord. So much of the stress and overwhelming weight in my own life is because I carry around this, this belief that, that my best will make this better. That if I just try harder and I did it better, it would fix this thing. But it doesn't. Let me tell you what the scripture says you need. The scripture, not Jimmy's thought, not Jimmy's opinion, not someone that I read once. The scripture is going to tell you what you need, what all of us need. Are you ready? Here we go. One word. Help. No, i got to add two letters onto that. A helper. But just so we get the beginning of the message, let's just start right there. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need help. With that look on your face, you need help. Now, finish it with those last two words. No, 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 no. You need a helper. Go ahead. Just share that. Don't take my word for that. I want you to hear God's. But he, it comes in a very interesting place in the lives of the disciples when they hear it. Can I refresh your memory from what we talked a little bit about last week? Jesus says to the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. And I'm going to say that to you this morning. We're going to really turn this towards some really awesome stuff here. But right now, just don't let your hearts be troubled, okay? But he's saying that when he's about to leave them. Now, this is someone they've left family for and friends for and careers for and their 401ks for to follow him for three years, night and day. Everywhere he went, they went. When he kicked up dust, it fell on them. They are his followers, and he's saying, I'm leaving you. but I'm leaving to usher in a future for you and the rest of the world that will create a place that you can call home. A place where you can belong forever. But it's going to mean a cross. And they can't figure that. Who could? You're going to see your rabbi that you followed for three, all the investments you've made. You talk about stock, all the stuff they've put into this, and he's going to be hung on a cross and that's going to help? Jesus is trying to 
trying to help them through this. And, and so he's got these 12. We're looking back. This isn't that hard for us. We're looking back and it's history for us. But they're living this in real time. And this is the night supposedly before, in less than 24 hours, he's gone from the earth. And this is the night before his betrayal that we know. And he's trying with words, these human things that we use to try to communicate something. And he's trying to say, okay, okay, lean in, guys. And here's what he says. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, say it, church. He will give you another what? And he will be with you forever. Who is he? The Spirit of truth. Now the world can't accept him. Because you see it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him. Kerrville Church of Christ, you know him. For he lives with you and he will be in you. Listen, I am not going to leave you as orphans. No, I will come to you. And yet in a little while the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live and that means for you, life, you will also live. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the helper, the friend, some translate, the counselor, the companion, this Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything I've said to you. And what this will mean in your life is peace. The peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give his world gifts. So don't let your hearts be troubled. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning pretty deep in this message, but I ask that you also join the messages of all the churches around Kerrville, particularly Barnett Chapel, because there are some hearts that are troubled in these churches. It's a troubling world we live in troubling marriages we live in, troubling relationships with our kids we live in, trouble, troubling relationships at work that we live in. We could use some help. And so I'm asking, in the name of Jesus Christ, because you promised you would send us a helper, would you make us aware of him in our lives? And if he's not in our lives, could you show us how to get him there? In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone who believes that said amen. I don't know how much the disciples heard of all that. I think most of them lost Jesus at goodbye. And if they didn't lose him at goodbye, they certainly lost him at, one of you in this room is going to betray me tonight. <laughs> That's a lot to ask for any group of, of men or women anywhere at any time. To take in and then to hear on the backside of it what we just read. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You really can have peace through all this. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. One of us is going to betray you and you're leaving us and, you, and you're saying this helper's going to come who's, who's better than you? Really? Jesus says, yes, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the helper, the counselor, the companion, the Holy Spirit who comes alongside you, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said. Peace, I leave with you. He still wants him to hear that. 
And he wants you to hear that. Some of you he brought specifically here today for this message. You could have been doing a thousand things and maybe you'd be one. You weren't coming and somehow or another you got drugged here or, or talked into here because lunch was really going to be good and you want to miss the ribs over at Dickie's. I don't know how you got here. But God brought some of you here to say, you need help and I'm here to give it. And I got to tell you, as I, as I read through this, trying to read it as the first time, I think those who are reading the Gospel of John for the first time probably go, finally! We've been wondering about who this spirit is from John chapter 1. I mean, at his baptism, there's this spirit that comes down from heaven as a dove and remains on Jesus. What's that? Later in the account of Jesus' life, John writes in chapter 3 about this conversation he has with Nicodemus, one of, one of Paul's peeps who's trying to get it right and who, who thinks of himself as one of the, the top 1% of those who are getting it right, comes to Jesus at night and says, man, I've been watching you and you've got something going on. And I want in. And in the midst of that conversation, he says, if you want in, only those who are born of the water and the Spirit get in to this kingdom. Well, why? Why is this Spirit so essential? Because he's going to say in the next chapter, in John chapter 4, to this woman who's at a well, who I'm telling you, <laughs> she's at the other end of the spectrum. She is not getting it right. She's not good enough. I mean, she's a five-time loser, we find out, in this relationships of marriage. And the guy she's living with now is not even her husband. And Jesus says to her, who's going to be one of his first missionaries, a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, you see. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, I'm getting it now. That's what the Spirit's for. To help us sing songs. To help us take communion better. To help us listen to a sermon. Long, long sermons better. No, 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 much more than that. To, to really worship, not just in here, but I mean worship the one and only who's worthy of such worship. Almighty God. He will come and help you all of your life would become worship, not just an hour on Sunday morning. Now we're on to something. Is that it? Oh no. There's so much more. So the Spirit is going to help us in worship, yes. But really what, what John tries to say is a pretty big word here. He wants to teach you to live. And I mean live to the full. The Spirit gives life, John 6, 30, 63 says. The flesh counts for nothing. The words that I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and they're full of life. Ah, oh, now we're tracking. Now don't let the word flesh right there kind of derail you because all it means, listen to me, is trying to be good enough. The Spirit gives life. The flesh or trying to be good enough, that's nothing. <laughs> the words I've spoken to you, they're full of Spirit and life. I'm telling you, that's something. And you want to listen in and you want to get you some of this. John's trying to say about this Jesus that he had known. Oh, friend, Jesus didn't come to leave you in the emptiness of your trying to be good enough. He came to offer you himself who is 
perfectly good enough. Just curious, those of you who know him, say amen. Yeah. How come that matters so much, the Spirit? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. John 7 and verse 39 says, let me tell you why it matters. Let anyone... I'm going to say the first word. You say the second one. Let. One more time. Let. That means you. You probably walked in here and you felt like you're not good enough. And you never get it right enough. Let anybody who is thirsty come to me and drink. Because whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers. Not a little dab, not a little drop. Rivers of living water from within them. It's coming. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Guess who that is? That's you. That's us. We're the ones who were later to receive this. And here in John chapter 14, Jesus says, Guys, pay attention. Before I'm out of here, before I send this Spirit, the time's come. The Helper's coming. And we got more to talk about because we still got 15 and 16 to talk about. But basically what he says in 14 is this. I am not going to leave you as orphans to figure out life on your own. That was worth the price of a mission right there, if you believe it. I am not going to leave anybody in this room alone to figure life out. If you want me there, I'm there. I'm sending a helper, I'm sending a counselor, I'm sending an advocate, I'm sending a friend to enable you to finally have a place to belong like no other. To finally realize that in Jesus Christ, I'm good enough. And it feels wonderful. Wonderful to know that. Paul the Apostle had to be beaming when he wrote these words. <laughs> when he finally realized, I don't have to be good enough. You, however, next scripture, guys are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anybody does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit still gives you what? Life! There it is again. I love how the message translates this. But... If God Himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than Him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, this Spirit of Christ, they're not going to know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome Him, in whom He dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience what? Life on God's terms. I want some of that. No, no, I want a lot of that. How about you? The good news is you can get on it all you want. You say, but Jimmy, I'm not good enough. I know. So does God. And that's why he sent Jesus to pay your sin debt and to offer you his righteousness because then and only then are you good enough. And that time is now, friend. Now, if you have never heard of the Holy Spirit before, this is your first time in church maybe ever, he's a part of what we call the, the Trinity, some call the Godhead. It's a mysterious relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard it referred to as the three in one. 
It's a relationship so close and so unified that they're the same and yet different. And that's a mystery to even try to say. We're going to unpack it a little bit more as we move into the other chapters. But suffice it to say that when you see one, you see the other. And it just gets a little confusing, but it's really not if you just understand. When you see one, you see the other. When you see one, you see the other. Now, if that sounds like a little bit of a mumbo-jumbo to you, imagine it happening on the night when someone said that you've walked with three years, I'm leaving you, but don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, though. He's going to help you. And you're going, what? That's what Philip heard. And on this night here in John 14, he says, okay, enough of the tell. I'd like to see some show. Enough of the tale, I want to see some show. You show us the Father and Jesus will be satisfied. And here's what Jesus replies. Philip, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but rather it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say I'm in the Father And the Father's in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works you've been seeing for the last three and a half years. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are uniquely one. They were family before any family that we know of was created. They were community before any community was ever created. So please, my dear friend, don't get bogged down in the theology of all that. Let me just nail it down to this. Jesus didn't come into this world to just simply walk among us. He came to get inside us. That's it all in a nutshell. And he can only do that via the Spirit. (laughs) Heather can't jump inside me. I can't jump inside John. And Jesus was in this flesh just like us. Yes, God was with him. God was in him. But he couldn't jump inside them. And so Jesus, through the cross and the resurrection, had to leave, so that was made possible. That's why he's going to say a little bit later, and I'm getting ahead of myself, you want me to leave so that this spirit can come and be a part of anyone who wants in for this kingdom. Let me tell you how this plays out personally for Jimmy. On August 21st of this month, Gail and I will have been married 36 years, minus six weeks. Those of you who don't know what that story is all about, find me after services and I'll tell you what the six weeks means. 36 years. I'm hoping for 20 more. I love her. I even like her. And I think she loves me and I think she likes me because I'm going home every day and she's still there. As a matter of fact, she's sitting right over there. I guess that means she's in. But you know what? I can't control her. She can't control me. I certainly can't control this broken world that we're in. There might be a day, God forbid, that I am no longer Gail's husband and I'm still alive. See, it happened once when we thought it never could, and it happened. And I want to be honest, it could happen again. It's a broken world. I am the father of two beautiful kids you know I am wild about. But I don't control the world. There could come a day, God forbid, And one of my children's gone, lost to a terrible disease, lost to an accident, lost to a sickness. And like some of you, lost because they decided enough of this place. I'm taking myself out. God forbid. 
but we live in a broken world, and I can't control those things. And so I learned a long time ago, I can't be a good enough daddy to prevent any of that. I can't. Not to prevent it. Because I live in a broken universe, and so I'm fully aware that one day I may not have daughters. I'm the senior minister for the Kerrville Church of Christ. For the moment, I want you to know I'm all in with this church. And for the moment, I believe all the elders are all in with me. But here's the truth. Next week, there could be an elders vote, and like that, I could be out. Now, I have dirt on all those brothers, so I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> the Bible says, be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove, right? For those of you who are visiting, I'm really joking. Mostly. But listen to me, my being your preacher can end this week because of my own broken world actions or by the actions of others. I am fully aware that every identity marker that I have can be taken from me in a moment because I am not all-powerful, I am not all-knowing, I am not everywhere at once. I live in a broken world just like you, however. I've been welcomed by God into the household of faith. I've been adopted as one of his boys by the almighty God. I have his spirit living, living in me. And nobody, nowhere, nohow takes that from me. Never will I be alone in this world anymore. Never. Unless I walk away from him. I walked in willingly. And I can walk away. I'm not talking about sin myself. I mean walk out. Don't want anything more to do with you. Thank you. I'm done. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I've experienced way too much of the brokenness of this world. There's no, I need help. And I'm asking for as much help as he'll provide in me, as much room as he needs in me to work. You just take it over, Lord. Most days. I realize that I am loved, I'm provided for, I'm saved, I'm ransomed by God, and that can never be taken from me no matter what comes. If I get sick, it's still true. If I die, it's still true. If I'm broke, it's still true. If I'm not a preacher, it's still true. If I'm not a husband, it's still true. If I'm not a dad, it's still true. If no one likes me, it's still true. I'm the king's kid. Never alone. And that reality made possible only by cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the sending of the spirit of Jesus Christ into my life. And he's trying his best in me to shape his identity and sometimes I fight him like all get out. There are rooms in my house, my life, I just see him not peek into let alone get in there and start messing around. He's been knocking on them and saying, would you let me in there? You don't want to go? Yeah, I do. You may not love me anymore. Oh, yeah, I will. Remember this. You're not good enough. But you've entrusted yourself to the one who is. So let's get this cleaned up. All right, Dad. Last verse and we're done. If anybody loves me, he will keep my word and the Father will love him. And here's what I've underlined in my Bible. And we will come to him 
and make our home with him. I sure hope you want some of that. Because you'll never be alone if you do. So we have this way of ending a service in which I stand under the front and some of our elders come up here because their hope is if you walked in here crushed by the knowledge that you're not good enough and you don't belong, that we can wrap an arm around you and say, you do here. Listen, we're going to let you down and sometimes maybe our little cliques will be too tight you can't get into, but we are trying to put our eyes on the one who says that he's the only reason we belong. We're trying to be like him. And, and at the moment, all we can do is we can, we can pray over you that you will come to an awareness that he's your everything. Not even this church, not your job, not your kids, not your mate, but he, we can pray over you. And, and if you've never made the decision to become a follower of Christ, today you can leave here with all those sins left behind in a watery grave we call baptism, and you'll experience the only death you will ever really have to care about because life starts now, and it never ends for those who say yes to this cross and yes to this resurrection and to, and to the confession, I'm not good enough. I'm giving up being good enough. And I'm leaving that right here today with Jesus Christ. And when you start there, life just starts, and it just keeps going, and like the Energizer Bunny, it gets better and better and going and better. Isn't it good? I don't have to make this up. <laughs> it's true. And if you want in on some of that, we're going to sing this song. You come up and sing it or come up and find me and let's just jump in. Let's stand and sing, church.